Hello there folks, my name's Ian Loring, welcome to Cinerama. Uh, apologies for the delay, but as I said last week, um, getting to watch films uh, is a bit of an issue this week. Uh, and yeah, I w- was only able to um, watch two of the three review- uh, films being reviewed today uh, on the Tuesday, and uh, I assume I'm posting this on Tuesday. Right, coming up this week, reviews include John Woo's return to his homeland, but can he get some of his old mojo back? We find out with Red Cliff. Horror remake time once again, as uh, Wes Craven's Last House on the left is remade for our torture porny times. And Danny Dyer, Stephen Graham, and Noel Clark get sent to the doghouse, but uh, does the film. Nice link there. Um, also, uh, movie news, what I watched this week, listener feedback, and um, a little discussion about potential ideas for the movie ma- next movie marathon, which I need your help with. Right, if you are listening to this on uh, and download it through the Jellycast feed, Please do me a favour and um, unsubscribe from the Jellycast feed. I have a new feed. Uh, it's costing me less money for way, way, way more bandwidth and uh, a general improved customer experience as well. Um, the guys at Chinstroker vs. Punter very heartily recommended Podomatic to me and I'm finding it to be... Uh, a breath of fresh air, to be honest, compared with Jellycast. Uh, Jellycast has served me well, but I think Podomatic is going to do me better. So uh, the next few eps will be available on the Jellycast feed, as will older episodes. Uh, I'm going to do a similar thing to what um, uh, Paul and Mike at Chinstroke vs. Punter are doing, where uh, I archive episodes over at the old feed. So you'll still be able to access the old feed. So if you want, feel free to keep that open along with this as well if that makes any sense but after four weeks all new episodes will only be posted on the uh uh podomatic feed um i'm already uh starting to shift uh quite a few of the old podcasts on to that feed but um because of uh i, I get 2.5 gigs of storage which is quite a lot really and 30 uh, no 200 gigs bandwidth, not 30, that's what I used to have, I now get 200 gigs bandwidth, so unless this show gets really, really, really fucking popular, uh, I don't have to worry about bandwidth, so to an extent, guys, download what you want from this one, um, and uh, what's the point of that? Yeah, and I mean, it, it basically, this feed, uh, the Jellycast feed, sorry, will be kaput for new episodes, I will just be archiving Podomatic for your uh, new ones. I must also give a massive, massive shout out to Jim Moon, who's actually going to be uh, guest uh, spotting on the show in a couple of weeks um, for designing the new uh, awesome logo. Uh, it was a great effort on his part, and I very much appreciate it. So, uh, big, big props to uh, Jim there. Right, uh, on to the usual. You can contact uh, this show at cineramapodcast at yahoo.co.uk. You can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash Ian Loring. Um, uh, you can read me at the rattle at the rattle.co.uk. We recorded the first episode of 35mm Heroes, the uh, official Rattle film podcast last week. And that should be going up in the next couple of days. Um, if it's not up already, actually, by the time you hear this. Um, Votes on Podcast Alley. I'm going to have to set up a new 
Cinerama thing on Podcast Alley, but I would really, once this gets on iTunes, at the moment iTunes is experiencing technical difficulties, uh, apparently, so I'm unable to uh, set up the new feed through that yet. But when I do, I would really, really, really appreciate it if you guys could just take a couple of minutes to... uh, put some reviews on the iTunes feed and uh, I know the folks who were good enough to do it uh, last time are, are wonderful but I don't suppose you guys could do it again for the new one just to um, give it a bit of a boost um, that that really I really really would appreciate it and um, if you do um, I'll be sure to give you thanks um, I don't check the reviews uh, have been updated constantly, but I mean, if you want to shoot me an email and say you've done so, then uh, definitely I can check it in. I mean, I'd absolutely give you a shout out, um, no problem. Um, okay, so I believe that's it. Uh, that was a rather extended introduction, but I had quite a bit to say today. So um, let's get cracking with the lead review of the week as a uh, uh, massive, massive, massive medieval armies fight uh, in the battle of red cliff lead review of the week red cliff directed by john Wu. this stars tony leung takeshi kanashiro chen chang feng yi zhang we zhao and jun hu um apologies for uh, getting any of those wrong okay um and i should just say uh the only trailer i could find uh on the net had no uh dialogue in so um yeah that's why there's no uh trailer clip before this um okay red cliff uh the uk well international cut is a cut down version of the two-part red cliff which was uh released in china and is the story of um a battle in uh the early uh 200 ad's i believe um can't remember exactly when and uh basically details uh cao cao played by feng yi zhang a power hungry prime minister who wants to take over the whole of china um trying to do battle with two previously at odds factions um these factions in the film anyway are led by zhu yu played by tony leung and Zhu Liang, uh, played by Takashi Kanashiro, who join forces to uh, uh, do battle against Cao Cao to try and remain uh, a peaceful uh, set of states uh, in uh, southern China. Okay, so uh, Red Cliff arrives in the UK, as I said, uh, in a cut-down version. Um, I, I don't know, actually, how long the individual parts are in uh, China. I've got a feeling they're two and a half hours long each, and uh, this version is uh, two and a half hours long. So, basically, they've cut about half a film out here. So, it's it's really quite something that the film is as good as it is. Uh, because I have to say, I thoroughly enjoyed the hell out of this. And I was starting to think I might not because of a certain Noel Meller over at Film Rant who walked out halfway during a press screening. Um, but I very, very much enjoyed this, uh, I must say. Um, it's not to say that it's uh, without its problems, though. Um, 
John Woo's Hollywood career had been um, pretty much stagnating, going downhill. Uh, so his need to go back to China was pretty strong. But there are a few things that you know he he hasn't learned to uh, leave behind. Um, fixation with doves is not just borderline parody it now is full-on john woo parody to be honest and uh, a dove plays a very significant role in this film and it was just a little bit really can't we get over that um so yeah little disconcerting and um overblown over dramatic kind of ludicrousness was a little bit there as well um things are very high keyed um almost surreal at times and um even though i suppose that's kind of trying to fit into the kind of mystical eastern mood um you know when you've got ridiculously fast rolling clouds and um like almost controlled by god winds and but not in a kind of a happening way thankfully um then it it becomes a tad ridiculous at times but it kind of adds to the fun almost um i mean i would also argue that it the, the film's overly simplistic even though i think this has to be because of how much material has been cut out um it's very very disconcerting when in the first five minutes or so you've got a lot of american voiced man narration and then suddenly just subtitles for the rest of the film and uh apparently this narration filled in a lot of gaps in the film and i can see that and i can also see that the the, uh there's a lot of kind of flashbacks to things and there's a lot of kind of voiceover narration from other characters to fill in other blanks uh and yet there's still a lot there that you kind of feel like there are bits missing and maybe it's because i knew that there were bits missing but it kind of just felt like there there was there, there was a, there's not a lot of character moments apart from a lot of very surface level stuff in this and i think that must be to do with the the cut down runtime and because of this it basically turns into a battle of good versus evil um but it, it it's lucky that the performances are uniformly superb i would actually say i really enjoyed all the performances in the film um and it's a good thing that the action is absolutely terrific there's a reliance on cg but that's only really in um kind of creating the vastness the kind of epic scale of the film because when it comes down to it an awful lot of this stuff looks like it was done practically it looks like a lot of arrows were fired, maybe not in the sea bits, but other bits. It looks like there was a lot of kind of epic hand-to-hand combat done. And um, it all looks very, very impressive. And it's, it's directed with John Woo's usual flair and skill in action direction. And um, Corey Ewan um, was uh, a, an assistant director on this as well. And it kind you can kind of tell, because I, even though there's a lot of war stuff, there's an awful lot of kind of hand-to-hand fighting as well. And that kind of feels like it could have been his influence. Um uh, and yeah, I mean, the film is absolutely filled with action, particularly in the second half. You've got a few battles kind of interspersed through the narrative at first, but then I counted that the whole of Real 7 and half of Real 8 was all action continuously. That's about half an hour. The final battle is so ridiculously epic and so engaging and so kick ass that I could not look away from the fucking screen. And I mean, it, it's at 
the, the final battle is absolutely mesmerizing and the time drifts away. It doesn't so much in the first half. And I mean, I've, I've actually just twitted um, uh, uh, Ben at Mondo Movie just to see. But I think I know where part one of the original two parts kind of finished because there is a slightly downbeat note roughly the end of reel four out of an eight reel film so cut in half there you go uh that i think the ending would have been but i'm not entirely sure um but the the story itself is is pretty engaging it's mainly it's mainly based on the friendship between um uh zoo uh you and fuck uh and uh leung zhang even i'm starting to zig zig Zug. And I, I'm starting to think that, that might have been the other way around in the film. Sorry, guys. Um, um, but yeah, the, the the chemistry between Tony Leung and Takeshi Kaneshiro is uh, really, really well done. Even though there are a couple of moments where John Woo f- um, frames it like they're about to kiss, uh, which uh, made me laugh. And I actually heard somebody else laughing at one point as well, so maybe it's not just me. Um, see if you can spot it. Um, but yeah, they're... they're you know they're both kind of um seeds from the same pod really and uh even though there is some very kind of weird kind of they play music beautifully together so they must know what each other's thinking there's that kind of like eastern touch to the film that uh, you know i I did quite enjoy i i haven't really watched a lot of asian films recently and i've I've kind of slightly forgot the 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 kind of surrealistic touches many have and uh, this is this has got a few there um yeah, so, I mean, Tony Leung and Takashi Kaneshiro are both very good. Uh, the bad guy, Kao Kao, uh, played by Feng Yi Zhang, even though he doesn't actually do a lot in the film, he generally just kind of stands around and and chats and whatnot. He, he's he's a very engaging bad guy, I must say. Um, he, he He's a very strong presence, and you kind of see why people are fighting for him, and you can almost see why he's respected so much as a military commander as well, even though he does lose a lot, just because of his sheer force of will. And um, I, I very much enjoyed his performance, actually. Um, and everybody else is, you know, pretty solid, but I mean, like, just solid, really. Um, so, yeah, I've got to say, I very, very much enjoyed Redcliffe in its two-and-a-half-hour cut, but I'd be very intrigued, maybe not exactly tomorrow or next week or even next month, but at some point down the line to see part one and part two in their original form, because I'd like to see what else was in there, because I think it would make it a better experience overall, because at the moment, this is a very, very kick-ass action film, um, with a fair bit of slow moments in the first two-thirds, whereas I think paced better... Um, and, and maybe with some more action as well in the earlier parts, this could be something really quite uh, magnificent. But uh, as it is, I, I'm I, I very, very, very heartily recommend Redcliffe. And um, uh, obviously, uh, I mean, Noel said to me that he, he hasn't got a lot of time for these kinds of films, and that's you know that's fair enough. Um, uh, but I kind of have to be honest, and uh, I really thoroughly enjoyed this. And um, yeah, I, I'm sure I'll be seeing it again sometime in the future. And it's good to see John Woo back to um, some really, really quality work. If you get a chance to see this, because it is a fairly limited release, seriously go check it out because I, I, I think it's worth it.
It's news time. Okay, let's kick off. Um, not much to say here, but if you haven't seen the photo of Kirsten, uh, Christian Stewart, sorry, as uh, Joan Jett, you should. Moving on. Uh, okay. Um, it's being reported that the Robert Rodriguez uh, produced the sequel to Predators, uh, Predator, which is going to be called Predator, may have a director. And I'm very, very happy about this. It may well be Neil Marshall, director of Dog Soldiers, The Descent, Doomsday, uh, which I fucking adore. I love that film. And uh, the forthcoming Centurion uh, may well be doing Predators. Um, that could be absolutely badass. And uh, the dude's got a liking for practical effects as well. So uh, that could only bode well. Let's get K and B involved in there and see what happens. Yeah, that could be... Uh, that could be wicked, um, even though it is a little uh, a bit of a worry because Marshall is still working on Centurion, uh, but Fox want uh, Predators out next summer, so uh, he's not going to have a lot of time. But so I don't know what that means, but I uh, I very much trust uh, trust Neil Marshall, so we'll see what happens. And uh, another um, reboot as or sequel kind of thing has got a uh, director. Um, Marcus Nisbal, director of Friday the 13th, uh, Pathfinder, and um, uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake, uh, is apparently to be directing the Conan the Barbarian remake. Um, this could be interesting. Uh, I haven't seen Pathfinder, but I heard it's fairly bad. But I liked the Texas Chainsaw remake, and I liked the Friday uh, Friday the 13th remake. So, uh, you know, hey. Um, apparently... Um, it's looking to be shooting in the summer, um, but they haven't actually cast Conan yet, so uh, we shall see. But uh, Marcus Nispel, yeah, um, so he's not afraid to uh, bring the violence. So uh, nice hardcore Conan film could be a uh, could be pretty good, I reckon. Okay, next, um, the new Bond film uh, has got a new writer to go along with Neil Purvis and Robert Wade, the usual writers. Um, instead of Paul Haggis, this time uh, Peter Morgan um, has been hired to uh, help out. Um, writer of The Queen, The Last King of Scotland, Frost Nixon, and, um, and well, adaptations of those, and uh, The Damned United. Um, that's very, very interesting. Very classy writer. I'm sure he's getting paid a shitload. And, um, yeah, class the joint up a bit, you know. Uh, maybe not have so many lines like, uh, I wish I could free you, but your prison is in there. Um, I hope you enjoyed my Olga Kurilenko impression there. I'm, I'm here all evening. Um, okay, next. Holy shit, that's a great photo. Um, Chud.com headline. Producers say this remake might be for the birds. Look at the photo. Brilliant. Um, do you know what? That's actually not even news. I just had that page open. Sorry, guys. Um, so, yeah. Uh, last bit of news for the week. Uh, speaking of the Friday the 13th remake, um, the sequel is in development to come out Friday, August the 13th next year, which would be two days before my 26th birthday. So that'll be a fun weekend for me. Um, the only thing that's really newsworthy here... Well, it's not really newsworthy, but fuck it. I'm going to talk about it. Jason Voorhees in snow. We haven't seen that before. That could be cool. Uh, hockey mask in the snow and a big knife. Um, I think that could be cool. 
Um, not much of anything is known about the uh, the new Friday film yet. Marcus Nispel is not going to be returning to direct. I assume none of the cast are going to be returning. So we'll see what happens. But I enjoyed the Friday the 13th remake, goddammit. So I'm looking forward to seconds. That's it for your news this week, which basically uh, was me pointing out photos, one of which I find very attractive, and it's not the one about the birds, uh, and a few other things. So there you go. More news next week. Are we there yet? We are making the turn now. It's the last house on the left, in case you forgot. It is the only house for miles, Dad. Do you guys need the car today? I was thinking I could meet up with Paige. Have fun. I don't think we've met. I'm Paige. This is Mary. Hey. What do you feel like doing tonight? I think Justin here could be kind of cute. <laughs> Evening. You knew not to bring anybody back here. We made the front page. That's what's going on. This is none of our business. I'm sorry, ladies. Oh, my God. We just can't risk it. These are two lovely girls, Justin. Bring her back! You got her. Now what? I saw a house back there. It's about our car trouble. We're actually pretty lucky today, seeing your house. There's only one problem. Our daughter won't have the car back till tomorrow morning. You know, you should probably just sleep here tonight. We have a guest house. Did you hear that? Mary! She's been shot. Can you tell us who did this to you? What are we gonna do? We don't have a car. The phones are dead and they're still here. Which means we're gonna be ready to do anything. Okay. Last House on the Left is directed by Dennis Iliadis and stars Tony Goldwyn, Monica Potter, Garrett Dillahunt, uh, Sarah Paxton, Martha McIsaac and uh, Michael Bowen and Joshua Cox. Um, Last House, The Last House on the Left is a remake of uh, Wes Craven's uh, debut film of the same name and uh, is pretty much the same plot, really. Um, a family... Uh, well, this bit isn't actually the same. Uh, a family go to a, uh, their lake house, which happens to be the last house on the left, um, for the summer. And on the very first night, Mary Collingwood, played by Sarah Paxton, um, goes out with her friend Paige, played by Martha McIsaac. They run into Justin, played by Spencer Tree Clark. Where the hell do I know that name from? Sorry, folks. I just saw that was his name. Holy shit. Uh, that kid, right, the kid in the last house on the left played the little kid in Gladiator. Bloody hell. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, they run into Justin, played by Spencer Tree Clark, who um, uh, in turn uh, kind of runs them into Krug, played by Garrett Dillahunt, uh, Morton, played by Michael Bowen, and, no, Giles, sorry, played by Joshua Cox, and uh, Sadie, played by Ricky Lindhorn. Uh, varying horrible things ensue and uh, parents Emma played by Monica Potter and John played by Tony Goldwyn have to get revenge uh, well they don't have to I suppose but they do <laughs> okay um, so this is based on the 1972 debut film by Wes Craven which I also saw this week 
Uh, the UK uh, DVD rental service, lovefilm.com, have launched uh, a Netflix watch instantly type thing where um, you can download, uh, well, you can stream films for free. There's only certain films you can stream for free, but that included Last House on the left, the uncut version. Uh, the uncut version I've never seen. Um, so, an interesting compare and contrast. And, um, right, I'll, I'll, I'll speak about the comparing and contrasting first before I get onto the merits of, or, or non merits of the new film. Um, the original Wes Craven film is a very, very odd film. It's very, very wild, wi- um, widely varying in tone. Um, there is a mixture of uh, odd, inappropriate music. Um, inept cops and extreme violence and um, it's safe to say that this film doesn't really do that Um, it kind of homages the cops right at the beginning but has uh, done away with them very very quickly Uh, that's not really a spoiler it's the first like two minutes of the film Um, uh, but the brutality is there it's safe to say Um, there is uh, a rather extended rape sequence in this film, which was uh, incredibly unpleasant and um, comes after a rather brutal stabbing as well. Worst stabbing I've seen on screen since Zodiac. Um, this whole sequence is very, very tough to take, to be honest. And um, yeah, I I would actually suggest it's worse. The rape is origi- uh, worse than the original film. Um, that film didn't leer at it so much and what i'd also say um very interesting um the girl who plays mary in this one sarah paxton she doesn't actually really look that old at all the girl in the original looked older than she was supposed to be by a fair few years in this one she kind of looks like she she is actually 16 or so and you know she's not exactly fully developed and that made it all the creepier and i'm wondering if that I'm wondering if that was actually a con- conscious choice because she she pretty much looks like she's still going through puberty and it, it i mean it really does help in ramping up the kind of horribleness of it to be honest and uh yeah it it was interesting um the I mean, this film is about 20-25 minutes longer than the original, so there is extended stuff, but the first 45 minutes or so pretty much plays out as it does in the original, but then it kind of veers off a little bit, and it's mainly just down to uh, uh, a certain plot point, which is spoiled in the trailer, but I won't say here just in case, Uh, and also just more focus on the getting revenge part. And um, the kind of comic tone aspect of the original only veers its head rears its head sorry in um in the very last scene of this film which again i won't spoil just in case you haven't seen it even though i kind of did on twitter earlier on today i just realized but never mind um where there's just like a complete kind of gorno kind of ridiculously comic violence sequence at the end which really had me laughing which given the rest of the film was odd and i'm not too sure what i thought of it and I'll also say, how can you do that with the thing's door open? I will say that much. That doesn't make any sense whatsoever, but hey. Um, but yeah, it's... I would argue it's a more brutal film than the uh, the original, to be honest. I think what they can get away with now really is quite something. It's one of the harshest uncut R-rated films. The fact that this wasn't unrated in the US that I've ever seen. Not maybe... Not really a harsh 18, but a very, very harsh R-rated film. And uh, I've got a feeling if it wasn't backed by Universal, it might not have got an R-rating. But um, 
yeah, so on to this film individually. Um, I thought it was good, but that's about it. Um, the performances are uniformly actually pretty good, especially for a horror genre film. Um, Garrett Dillahunt as the lead uh, villain Krug is uh, very, very effective. He's very creepy um, without ever overacting. He's got a very quiet menace about him, which I... I quite liked actually. Um, his partner in crime, um, uh, I think he's Giles, played by uh, Joshua Cox. I believe so, anyway. Hang on. Yeah, I think that's him. Um, yeah, he's uh, very good as well. Very, very creepy. Uh, I've just balls this up completely, guys, and I apologise. Um, it's not him at all. It's Aaron Paul who plays Francis. I'm very, very sorry. Um, okay, Francis played by Aaron Paul. I don't know. Who the fuck's Giles? Oh, he might have been one of the cops. Okay. Um, yeah, he's very, very good, actually. Um, very kind of slimy, very greasy, very creepy. Uh, obvious, uh, Just obviously a bit more out there fucked than, um, than uh, Krug. Um, but yeah, uh, good performance. Um, and Sadie, played by Ricky Lindhorn, kind of felt like there was something more going on with her character that wasn't really there. There's a couple of scenes where you think maybe she's actually kind of regretting all this stuff, but it never really pays off because uh, when it com comes to her time, it's just her time, really. There's no real regret there or anything like that. Um, yeah, uh, as the good guys, I suppose. Uh, John, played by... Tony Goldwyn, uh, good, uh, plays the turning from nice guy to out man on a mission of revenge uh, pretty well, actually, uh, especially considering how outlandish it seems that he kind of goes so from naught to a hundred. Um, Emma, played by Monica Potter, does the distressed mother very well. There's some kind of hints of tension between them as well at the beginning of the film, which, again, kind of goes away. Uh, in the second half of the film, so it felt like there was stuff cut out there as well. Um, there's a little bit of tension about whether to let Mary go off with a friend or not, which uh, was never really followed up on. Uh, Mary, played by Sarah Paxton, puts in um, yeah, a pretty good performance, actually. Um, uh, very believably uh, young and innocent and really, really traumatised by everything, so she does the job. And uh, Spencer Treat Clark, the kid who's in Gladiator, as Justin. My one big problem with this film compared to the remake, actually. Um, I mean, as compared to the original. Um, seriously, guys, I haven't drunk before doing this review today, so I don't know what's going on today. But um, he, it is quite warm. I blame that. Um, he's he's very innocent and very naive. Yeah, at the start of the film. At the very, very start of the film, he's very into the stuff that's going on. Whereas in the original film, he is pretty fucked up already, but he's just not sure about things. I think they should have taken him in that kind of direction, because where they go with his character in this, it just felt a bit too cop-outy. Like, you know, he's young, so automatically he's got to have some good in him. And, uh, I mean, I would have loved to have had something as intense as the blow-your-brains-out sequence in the original film in this, but... Uh, it does never really comes between um, he and his father, and it's a bit of a shame, really. Um, 
but yeah, it's it's nicely gory. It's it's pretty tense. It's pretty engaging. But apart from the very end of the film, there's not really any memorable kills. It's too long for this kind of uh, this kind of plot at an hour and fifty minutes long. Uh, it takes a long time to get going, and uh, yeah, I mean it it it's it's fine. You know, it's a solid three star horror film. It's not awful, but it's certainly not that memorable in the slightest. But you know. It's not the worst remake that that, that, that there's ever been, um, but it, it's not up there for me with like the Hills Have Eyes remake or the Texas Chainsaw Massacre or Friday the Thirteenth. It's kind of like I've I've seen it and that's it. I'll move on. I'll never think about it again. I'll probably never watch it again. And there you go. But for a solid hour fifty minutes, including a rather brutal ten fifteen minutes. Uh, you can't. You you could go far far worse than Last House on the Left, but you could also go far better. Okay, so um, I just want to talk a little bit about uh the next marathon. Um, I asked for suggestions and whatnot, and I got two, and uh, I'd be interested in doing either, but I want to leave it up to you guys because you know, in the end of the day, I do this so that you're entertained and listening to it. So, the choices are. A John Ford marathon, suggested by uh, Mike from Chinstroker vs. Punter. Or a John Carpenter marathon, which I believe was suggested by James McNulty of the new Cult Fiction podcast. So then, um, John Ford, uh, a great man with a great many westerns. John Carpenter, a great man with a great many quality films uh, that I actually know of. Um, I would like your thoughts, please. Um... I'm not going to put next week's show up until Sunday just to give it a bit of time in between shows instead of just hitting one up and then three days later another. Um, So you've got a little bit of time, but contact me on Twitter, contact me through the email, contact me on Facebook, however, um, John Ford or John Carpenter. Doghouse is directed by Jake West and stars Danny Dyer, Noel Clark, Stephen Graham, Terry Stone, Lee Ingleby, Keith Lee Castle and Christina Cole. Uh, okay, Doghouse is the story of a group of guys played by um, a lot of guys um led by neil played by danny dyer mikey played by noel clark and vince played by stephen graham uh when uh they all go for a weekend out to a village where the women outnumber the men four to one apparently to help vince played by stephen graham uh like i said sorry uh get over the breakup he's going through with his wife uh but when they get there they find that all the women in the village have been infected with a virus all the men in the village have been uh killed and they've got to try and find a way out okay so uh doghouse is um a film I hadn't really heard too much about before seeing it. I'd seen the trailer once and, uh, you know, I, I don't really remember too much about it, to be honest with you. Um, and, yeah, uh, okay. Um, it's, uh, a, 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 on the face of it, a typical British horror comedy. Um, you know, it, it, it kind of looks like 
Severance, uh, uh, Christopher Smith's uh, film from a few years ago, which also starred Danny Dyer. For those of you who don't know who Danny Dyer is, uh, he's a guy who pretty much acts in all um, blokey films which only seem to get released in uh, in Great Britain. Um, and yeah, it, it, it pretty much seems to be just another one of his films, but this time with a load of zombie women in it. Um, the trailer didn't particularly appeal to me, to be honest, but it is a horror comedy, so I, uh, you know, I kind of feel I have to see it really because that's what I'm like. And uh, okay, um, I absolutely despise this film. Um, anyone who's seen uh, my reactions on Twitter will know that by now. And as I said on Twitter, if you like this film, you're a douchebag. Um, where to start? Okay, so I knew things weren't going to go well when the uh, font the opening credits were in were exactly the same as the type in Lesbian Vampire Killers. But not only that, but an early scene set in a pub looked like it was filmed in the exact same pub by the exact same director and cinematographer as the scene in Lesbian Vampire Killers. It's all blokes having pints, doing stupid stuff, you know, just being rowdy. And I mean, the thing is, I am probably in the target audience for this film in as much as I'm an 18 to 30 male who I I'm pretty sure I'm not socially retarded. Um, maybe. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I think I was supposed to connect with this film somehow, but um, as, uh, a few people in the audience with me, there were only like four other people in the audience with me, but they, they all seemed to be laughing like hyenas. And uh, uh, I know my boss quite liked it as well, which uh, I'm, uh, yeah, um, he he likes a lot of shit. In fairness, but I think he'd say that himself. Um, it just okay. It, it's all right. My main complaint with it is that it's pretty much the most misogynist thing I've had the displeasure in seeing in quite some time, and uh, I, I I think that fact alone actually makes it worse than lesbian vampire killers which i'm amazed i'm saying because i was convinced that was going to be my number one worst film of the year but upon thinking about it i think this actually tears it because because of this misogyny now um i'm going to try not to give away any spoilers but i don't really care if i do um basically the the climax of the well, the whole film is really about men realizing that they don't need women because I think as I quote from the film, women suck the life out of men, and obviously in this film it's meant quite literally, but uh, I suppose it's meant philosophically um, with this. Any man who tries to at all connect to women. Uh, either get killed or realise the error of their ways and uh, then um, proceed to kill a load of women. Um, even though there is actually one point fairly late on in the film where it, it's kind of hinted that 
they might actually respond and uh, stop the, uh, the 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 bloodlust to uh, men actually treating them as as uh, not uh, objects but individuals. Uh, but you know this doesn't last very long, and uh, they just get they just get killed and i mean believe me i love seeing men and women get killed on screen um as as long time listeners will will know um i i like my horror i i like my bloody violence you know i i'm i'm a, a big fan of it but when it's done with this kind of sour taste in the mouth i just can't get behind it at all um it's a really dirty, horrible little film which has no merit to it whatsoever, as I can see. It, it's supposed to be a comedy, but I, I didn't laugh once. Actually, I chuckled once, and that was at the at how blatant uh, a, an advertisement for Gillette razors are. Through, through a fair bit of the film, actually, a billboard is, is featured fairly prominently um, for quite a lot of the film, really, um, surprisingly so. And uh, I did laugh at that, but um, that really was it. The rest of it is very l- laddie behaviour, um, you know, jokes about, I, I don't know, women either being slags or or easy or whatnot. Um, you've got a token gay character who proceeds to have uh, have the piss ripped out of him throughout the whole thing uh, because he's gay. Um, and okay, it's nice to see uh, a masculine portrayal of a gay man, but they they literally only do that so that it, it, it people don't have to feel bad at laughing at all the gay jokes in the film. Um, which is debatable. Um, production values are horrible. Uh, makeup is absolutely awful. The zombie women look absolutely fucking atrocious. Uh, there are plot holes you could uh, drive a minibus through appropriately enough for the film. Um, I will say this. Uh, they have quite an easy method of transportation out of the village throughout the whole of the film and blocking that is not really a hell of a lot considering the number of guys there are at the beginning of the film um not many people get killed uh indeed like tormented actually even i very much like that film uh they kind of forget that they've got to kill some people off until the last 20 25 minutes or so of the film so the rest of it is the guys just uh wandering about and kind of getting off pretty easy to be honest there are a few close shaves but apart from that the women just kind of wander about and uh, in incomprehensibly fight with each other at one point, which then you then get, oh, which one you betting on? Oh, I'm going to bet on that one with the with the scissors and oh, look at that! Oh, you get in there, love, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's great in it. Oh, let's let's have a beer and fucking get our dicks out. You know, I just <sighs> it, it it it's the basest, most simpleton humour you could possibly get and um i i i i was very very much angered by this film i that what it's basically i mean like i said what it's saying is that it it is women sucking the life out of men so you know and there's one climactic bit where one of the guys 
kind of accuses the other guys of being idiots because they don't know how to treat women but then he just says that you know because women basically deserve to be treated like shit and um they should all be you know horribly killed in this situation i know i know i'm i'm beating this point relentlessly but i'm amazed that a film like this can really get away with it um because it's really quite blatant. I'm assuming the filmmakers involved don't really like women. Uh, so they've all got to get killed off. You know, um, I mean, there's not even a lot of kind of cool moments for the w women killing the men. They, they mainly do it through luck or uh, through being fat and... Uh, 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 cr crushing one of them, and I, you know, I don't quite see, you know, where the the fun is in that. Really, it. I mean, I'm mean, I'm rather exasperated. I thought I was going to be angrier, really, but it, it's just. I mean, I've talked for over ten minutes about it, and I'm kind of amazed I've done that. And even though it, it it's been a lot of pausing, I suppose, but um, it it depresses me to be honest that this this film is it has been released but it does comfort me that uh it's playing in our smallest screen this week and probably won't be around for more than a couple of weeks which is something but uh uh cast wise Danny Dyer is Danny Dyer um whatever um he thinks he's God's gift to women and that's about it Noel Clark um who Based on adulthood, even though I didn't like the film, I kind of liked where he it, like that there was a, a young black talent in British film. And what's he done instead? He's in Doghouse. I know he's also coming up in Neil Marshall, Marshall's new film Centurion. So hopefully there'll be uh, something there to salvage. Um, Stephen Graham, uh, who was uh, the uh, uh, evil racist in This Is England, uh, barely does anything for the first three quarters of the film and then comes into his own at the end. And his character is my primary source of uh, hate for this film in terms of its, uh, what it's saying. Even though I can't, I don't think you could really say this film's saying anything, but hey. Uh, the rest of the characters are just complete cardboard cutouts. You're just waiting for them to get killed by one by one. And uh, there's a lot of them as well. This film's got the longest fucking introduction to characters I think I've ever seen. Um, there's like a scene with each of them, and then it goes all black and white and comes up with their name, and it's like, why? Um, you know, we're basically asked to identify with them through their stereotype and their name only. That's the only way we're going to be able to recognise who they are. And they all do... James King on Radio 1, I was listening to his review earlier on, he said that they all just kind of blur into insignificance, and they do. Um, it, it It's really quite something. Um, Jake West's direction... Um, well, plot holes you can drive a truck through, and he edited it as well, as so hopefully said in the opening credits, so I can blame him for that entirely, pretty much. Um, it, it does something that I like with low-budget Brit films. It shoots in scope, I can say that much. It doesn't exactly do anything with the frame, but hey. Um, and, yep, the women are all treated horribly uh that all the men run away from their women at the start of the film and you get the sense by the end of it they're not exactly going to be running back to them 
and it's all lads in it together let's all drink a load of pints and uh, call women slags and there's nothing wrong with that because we're gonna kill all of them uh, it's not really my idea for a fun hour and a half and if it's your idea of a fun for hour and a half I've got an idea why don't you take uh, a gun or if you're in the UK take a bottle of bleach and put it in your mouth and um, if you've got a gun, pull the trigger. Uh, if you've got a bottle of bleach, just, you know, give your mouth a couple of squirts and uh, let's see what happens. Uh, doghouse, if you like it, fuck you. Okay, so it's time for what else I watched this week. Um, I watched the original Last House on the left, but uh, I would have talked about that uh, in the review of the remake of Last House on the left, so I won't bother here. Um... Okay, I rewatched Slumdog Millionaire, uh, second watch, um, or is it third? Might be the third, sorry. Um, oh, I can't remember. Uh, but the first time on Blu-ray. Um, now this is quite interesting. Uh, well, to me anyway. Um, we had a digital copy of it at work, and um, it never really looked that impressive. Any low-light scenes really did show off the kind of low-budget origin of the film. And uh, while there are moments like that in the Blu-ray, I must say that the image is far, far better than a digital presentation. Um, obviously, some uh, like there's a different transfer going on but the blu-ray looks really really nice throughout the vast majority of the film daylight scenes look absolutely fucking spectacular the opening chase is amazing on blu-ray um and even the nighttime scenes uh, aren't uh, aren't nearly as like blown out uh, as as they were in the, in the digital presentation and indeed in fairness the 35mm presentation which we also had a print of at one point um, the film itself well I still I very very much like the first hour I'm not too sure about the second hour Donna actually put it it was the first time she'd seen it I think she put it very well when she said as soon as they grow up it loses you and I kind of agree to be honest uh that's that's not at the uh, at, uh, 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 saying that Dev Patel's performance is bad or anything like that. I actually think he's one of the shining stars of the film, but it I think it just loses its momentum a bit and it and it kind of settles into some more uh, traditional kind of tropes, which um, I don't know to make the feel good film of the year as the dvd and blu-ray cover has it on the U uh, uh, in the uk anyway um i think you need to earn the happiness at the end and uh, to really be feel good um even though i suppose mamma mia was feel good all the way through apparently um no i haven't seen it uh but i i don't know it it is it wrong to say i preferred the darkness because i kind of did um I'm still, cover art aside, for those of you who have been following me on Twitter um, will know this, but uh, I really was kind of protest not buying the Blu-ray because of the cover art, which is, uh, the UK cover art for Slumdog is horrendous. Um, it, it's pretty much matching the theatrical poster where it's like in big pink lettering Slumdog Millionaire and it's uh, uh, Jamal and uh, Latika um, both smiling and really happy with a load of confetti 
like being thrown down on them is horrible um and completely <laughs> missells the film but um yeah i did buy it and i'm glad i bought it and it's got a lot of features as well which i'm looking forward to getting stuck into at some point um okay i also watched john carpenter's prince of darkness the first time i watched this film in several years uh, a very long time in fact um i'd only seen it once before and uh i really really like this um i had um a real inkling to watch uh, Carpenter um, film after recording the uh, Chinorama, uh, the Thing episode. And um, yeah, I really, uh, really, really enjoyed Prince of Darkness. Um, very, very 80s, but uh, the score is another one of Carpenter's brilliant scores. Um, the story itself is one of the most out there, kind of bizarre, but very, very cool stories that Carpenter's come up with. And the last ten minutes are fucking incredible. Um, for those of you who don't know, Prince of Darkness, basically it's about this uh, canister of swirling green fluid found in the basement of an old abandoned church, uh, which is soon revealed to be uh, what appears to be pure evil, or Satan. And so uh, a priest uh, enlists his scientist friend and his scientist friend's students to um, try and work out what exactly is going on and how to stop it because it appears to be growing in strength. Uh, this film includes such delights as uh, Alice Cooper as a homeless man who kills someone with half a bike. Uh, you've got a lot of bodily fluid flowing from one person to other people uh, multiple times in the film, which is always fun. Um, you've got just a great mixture of science and religion, which I really enjoyed. And uh, Donald Pleasance just being a wimp throughout the entire film. Um, it's 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 a lot of fun. And uh, if you haven't seen Prince of Darkness, it's one of his films that isn't talked about too much. Uh, I do recommend it because it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, okay, I also watched The Grudge Free on Blu-ray. Um, and... Uh, I will admit now, um, I have talked to in the past the director of The Grudge Free, Toby Wilkins, on Twitter. Um, he also directed Sp uh, Splinter, which I talked about on what I watched a couple months back. And uh, if you're interested, he can be found at at, at, at Splinter Film. That's all, um, all one word. Um, so, I don't know. I, I like the guy. I, he seems like a nice guy. Um, so maybe it's a bit biased of me to say this or it could come off across as a bit biased but I really mean it when I say while it's not a patch on the original grudge uh, either the remake uh, remake of the original or the original uh, I would say this one's better than the grudge 2 because I actually remember it after I saw it one of the good things about this one is that they actually kind of try and push the mythology on a bit as you get um, try not to spoil it too much but you kind of get an evolution in the spirits that are shown and you get a plot that really very directly ties into the into the second film as the um the apartment block of the second film is the setting for this film mainly and um kind of shows what happens when a load of random murders happen in an apartment block and when you're trying to keep tenants on which i thought was actually quite an interesting way to go with i mean it's it's pretty straightforward direct-to-video fare um it's not particularly scary, I must say, and the performances maybe aren't the best, but I still enjoyed it. Um, it was a perfectly fine 90 minutes, and 
you know, I, I preferred Splinter that had way more imagination, but, you know, for what is probably a director to hire for higher piece, it's not the worst in the world, that's for sure. Um, and finally, I watched, uh, oh, and I actually, I must say, the Blu-ray transfer, um, is actually quite nice, there's a fair bit of detail in there, and I, I was kind of surprised, actually. Um, so yeah, I also watched Trainspotting on Blu-ray, and, um, I've read a fair few kind of middling reviews about the picture quality of Trainspotting on, on the Blu-ray disc, but I actually really, um, I was really quite impressed, maybe my, uh, maybe my expectations were lowered somewhat because of these reviews, but, um, I actually had quite a bit of fun with um with the blu-ray um it's very sharp it comes from a mainly clean print uh facial detail and light textures are are very very well defined and uh yeah it it, it you know it um it pretty much did everything i i wanted it to do really so um yeah uh, I, I was quite impressed by the transfer. There's an awful lot of features on the disc as well. I got I got the disc through from LoveFilm.com, but um, I, I think I'll probably buy it at some point because there's a lot of stuff on there I wouldn't mind going through. Um, film itself, first time I've seen Train Spotting since before I went to uni, I would imagine, so uh, a long time. And uh, it's amazing how well Danny Boyle is able to mix comedy and drama in this film. It's uh, for what I think was his second feature film, it's it, it it really he really shows a deft hand, which you know he's shown throughout his whole career in being able to mix things up. And uh, yeah, I mean the soundtrack's pretty dated, the fashions are pretty dated, but um, I'll say this: uh, if I saw Kelly McDonald in that club that night, I'd fuck her. Um, I wouldn't if I knew she was 14, but, you know, I I can see the uh, dilemma that uh, Mark kind of goes through. I, I think probably, you know, Kelly MacDonald was no way was she 14 doing the film. She was young, but she wasn't 14 years old. So, you know, uh, but hey, uh, you know, yeah, uh, I'll say no more. Um, and yeah, great film. I very, very much enjoy Trainspotting. Um, it's interesting to see how 90s films are starting to become dated that's for sure um but it's still got an energy uh, an energy and vibrancy about it which uh, a lot of films these days could uh, do well to copy really um yeah it's amazing to see um how danny boyle's moved on through the years and uh yeah i mean he, the dude's made some really great films i'd I'd argue he's probably the best British director working today, really. Um, certainly in terms of consistency of, of product, anyway. And, uh, yeah, this new film that hopefully he'll be doing, Maximum City, sounds like it could be quite something. Um, so, yeah, that's all I watched this week. Um, this week, uh, I'm planning on watching a few more things, uh, obviously. Uh, I got my Ghostbusters Blu-ray through yesterday as I record this. So, uh, there'll actually be a full review of the Blu-ray next week. Um and uh yeah i'm very much looking forward to that i took a little look at it yesterday and uh uh i know what they mean when they say there's a fair bit of grain in the picture for this but um it looks like you're watching a nice film print and that will do for me so more on that next week and uh i'm sure there'll be more of what i watched next week okay it's feedback time only got the one this week but never mind and it's jim moon uh creator of my new logo and the chinstroker versus punter new logo um, so, good man all round. Uh, he can be found at hypnagoria.com or hypnagoria.blogspot.com, I believe. 
Jim says, in reference to Cinerant last week's show, Hi Ian, another great crossover show. Fascinating debate between your good self and Noel. Some might say that you gave the movie far more attention than it really deserved, but personally I found it such a mixed bag of a film that I think it really warranted the in-depth discussion. I never expected to say this, but I thought McGee uh, did a reasonable job directing-wise. He created, uh, crafted a convincing post-Judgment Day world, and thankfully kept the shaky camera work the right side of Michael Bloody Bay. However, when it all came apart was the script. Some good ideas mangled and plot holes not so much on show as actually mooning the audience. A real case of nice action shame about the screenplay. Now, while a director is ultimately responsible for the state of the script, I do wonder how much freedom he had. Having read about the clusterfuck of editing the script had, I'm inclined to give him the benefit of the doubt, and the decision to completely spoil the twist in the Marcus Wright storyline in the trailers really didn't help the movie. I can't help but uh, feeling they pulled a Lucas on us. This film should have delivered the future war with the machines, and instead it happened in the background and largely off-screen like the Clone Wars did in the prequel trilogy. Still, Terminator Salvation was better than Rise of the Machines, which is probably the definition of damning with faint praise found in this year's edition of the Oxford English Dictionary. Nice. Cheers, Jim. Uh, thank you, Jim. I've, I've already replied to Jim via email, but I, um, I will say on here as well. Um, yeah, so... The thing is... What annoys me with McGee and the fact, and I mean saying it, it given the benefit of a doubt, is that this dude has been hyping up this fucking film like ever since he was signed on. And he said, don't worry guys, it's going to be R-rated, it's going to be my vision of a Terminator film, which is exactly the same as all you guys. You know, I'm being allowed to do whatever I want to create this future world, you know, uh, it's going to be explosive, it's going to be kick-ass, I'm going to try and get James Cameron's approval with it all, that's how faithful it's going to be. And in the end, he didn't get Cameron's approval, it's a PG-13, and the whole film is severely compromised by the PG-13 rating and the very rushed rewrite because of the writer's strike. If it wasn't for the writer's strike, I'd be intrigued to see how this film did, as I, w as I would have been um, Quantum of Solace, for example, even though... I I like that film, but hey. Um, yeah, the Marcus Wright twist, that's, I mean, that's a good point. They did it with Terminator 2 as well. Um, I was listening to an episode of, uh, an old episode of the Film Junk podcast, uh, and uh, Jay on there was uh, talking about how kick-ass it would have been if with Terminator 2 you didn't know Arnold was the good guy, except they spoiled that in the trailers. And it's like this, if you didn't know Marcus was a Terminator, if it was just saying that he was some mysterious guy, blah, 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 blah. And, he, you know, he, he seems to be a good guy. But then the reveal, that would have been fucking amazing. But the thing is, with trailers these days, studios, I don't think, can hold it in their pants. They just want to get it all out there and, you know, blow their load and just be done with it. And, um, I mean, modern trailers are kind of ruining films a little bit, I think. But, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, the future war like background was cool like i said in that review that opening action set piece the like the seemingly single take children of men-esque thing that does look really impressive and i mean like you've got people all over the place you've got gunfights all over the place but then it just it kind of gets more closed in and there's never anything on like an epic battlefield you've got car chases that are just like between two cars you've got fights in factories you know you've got fights in just like lakes and stuff like that it never really feels that vast and okay the film's very expensive as it is i understand that but it just 
after that first 20 minutes or so, it just it really goes down the shitter for me, and it, I, 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 I don't know. Um, but, hey, we shall see. The film has actually done very well internationally. When it came out in the UK, uh, its first weekend, uh, it was very much uh, blessed with some mixed weather in the UK, so uh, it did do very well. It would have done well anyway, but maybe not that well. So um, I think that maybe says quite a lot, but... Um, Will we see a sequel? Who knows? The fact they didn't green light one straight after the opening weekend in the US might say something, though. So uh, that is it for feedback this week. Um, you can contact me at the uh, the usual places. And, yep, there you go. Uh, thank you very much again to Jim for everything, really. Okay, that will do it for this week's show. Thank you very much for listening. Um, I should just say, because I forgot at the start, music today uh, is from the new album by Taking Back Sunday. Uh, The album is called New Again. The first song you heard at the start there uh, was Lonely Lonely, and the song you'll be hearing at the end of this show is Swing. Right, so uh, next week, only one big release in the UK. Um... And we are getting it before the US, and I have no idea why, but Transformers Revenge of the Fallen is released in the UK this coming Friday, so I will be reviewing it on the show. Um, That's the only major release, so it's probably going to be a shorter show than usual, but we shall see. Uh, I'm sure we'll have all the usual gubbins anyway. So, um, yep, as I said at the start of the show, if you're uh, uh, downloading from the Jellycast feed, please go to... Uh, cinerama.podomatic.com uh, on the right hand side there's a subscribe via iTunes thing where you can uh, subscribe automatically right there uh, there's also links to the RSS feed if you do it that way um, feedback very welcome um, and I also actually should say if anybody uh, is new to the show and uh, finding it through Podomatic uh, thank you very much for listening uh, well, thank you to everybody for listening, but uh, thanks for taking the time to check out the show. I hope you liked it. Uh, so, feedback, Podcast at yahoo.co.uk. You can follow me at Twitter at twitter.com forward slash Ian Loring. That's all one word. Um, you can read me at The Rattle at www.therattle.co.uk. Um, and reviews for the new feed on iTunes, muchly, muchly, muchly appreciated. Okay, uh, so I suppose that is it. And uh, I'll speak to you guys next week. Oh, and also, um, I am guesting on Chinstroker vs. Punter for an episode that should actually might well be out by the time uh, you hear this. Alright, uh, take it easy, guys. I'll speak to you next week or on Twitter but, uh, or email. Bye bye.